Quacksmack. Now, let's head into the KWVA Sports Studios for the show. It's a jam-packed Tuesday, or sorry, Wednesday, actually, edition here of Quacksmack. Hello and welcome inside the KWVA studio here on 88.1 FM. Saul Gavon here with you as always. As long, alongside Charlie Martindale and Griffin Bowes. Gentlemen, how are we doing on this fine Wednesday evening? I got a little confused there. thought it was Tuesday, but it's just that time of the, the term that, you know, yeah, days don't matter. Fast. Week's moving fast. Week's moving really fast. How are we doing tonight, though? Yeah, pretty good Wednesday. Got a lot of sports going on. It's always an exciting time of year, so always a good time to, to talk some sports here. Always a very good time. Griffin, what about you? Yeah, me too. This is a pretty interesting time for sports. We got men's and women's basketball going on. We also got the the diamond sports as well, and then some other sports we could talk about later they're starting to pick up so a lot of things happening at this point not really a time if you want to tune out from sports yeah you're right I mean there's so much going on right now it's really I mean I don't know like what my favorite crossover season is I want to ask you guys that like do you guys prefer the winter to spring crossover when there's more sports going on or do you prefer the fall to winter when there's still a lot going on but it's more of like the main sports like volleyball football and then basketball what do you guys prefer more yeah, as much as I love Oregon football, obviously known for being a football school. I'm a baseball guy. I've been playing baseball my whole life. So this is definitely my favorite time of year. Both Diamond Sports having some exciting starts to their season. we got a lot to talk about with uh, with both of them. So I would say this one for sure. Oh, yeah. Griffin? Honestly, I've said this for a couple of years now. I think November is the best month in sports. You have college football at its peak. You have the NFL, you know, you know, rising action. Maybe not the climax, but rising action. You've got college basketball and all the great non-conference games. I know college basketball is notorious for having a really exciting November, even though no one watches it. I mean, come on. How do you not watch this? It's like, well, what do we have this year? Like Arizona and Purdue? That was that was awesome. Like maybe that was December, but non-conference of college basketball is great. And NBA also starting to kick off as well. I think no, November is the best month in sports, but th- this month too is this time period. It's not bad either. I can't really complain. Yeah, it's really, especially I know for you, like it's it's a good time because you get to watch Alabama football and basketball, which I know you love very much. But uh, I'm watching Alabama basketball right now. Actually, they're down by two to Florida, down by one now. Yeah, hey, we don't have broadcast rights for that. So uh, yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, I was gonna say keep the scores confidential. Uh, but let's jump right into some Oregon sports. We'll start off with some Oregon baseball because they just finished up their opening weekend down at the Shriner Children's Classic. Uh, I wrote in my outline for today that both of you guys looked at before. I said that it was a pretty solid weekend in Texas. I think I kind of undermined it a little bit. I think it was a very overall good weekend for the Ducks to start off their season. They went 2-1. and one. They beat Oklahoma and Baylor on Friday and Saturday and then lost to Texas Tech in a, a fairly close game. The score says 11-7, but let's, for, let's not forget how Oregon got back. They almost came back. They were down um, by one run at some point, and then Texas Tech kind of just took off. But we knew that... Uh, that matchup against the Raiders is going to be tough, especially because Texas Tech went into the season. They were already ranked. They were going to be one of the top teams in the country. So the fact that Oregon actually hung in with the number 18th ranked team in the country, it says a lot about this Duck team. And I think, personally for me, I would probably say that the Baylor game was the, the best game that they played all weekend. I thought the pitching was really good, even though they gave up four runs. Uh, Oklahoma was pretty solid, a little shaky to start the year, but the offense was really just rolling against Baylor. But just your guys' overall thoughts from the weekend. Yeah, I, I agree that it might have been a little bit of an understatement to call it solid. I was really excited about the series going in. Every time we had talked about it ahead of the season starting, we kind of didn't really know what we were going to get. There's a lot of young players on this Oregon team. You know, they're traveling all the way to Texas, playing in an MLB park, playing against some teams that, as you said, had some hype of, in their own right entering the season. And the Ducks really came to play. I mean, even in the one loss, 
16 hits. They walked nine times, reached on three errors. That was easily a game they could have won. You know, the pitching looked solid. I think overall this pitching is a weekend. Pitching looked very solid. Yeah, this <laughs> is a weekend where uh, you can definitely have a lot to be happy with. Yeah, I'm going to look at that Texas Tech game as well. Oregon actually had a, a lot more hits than Texas Tech. Oregon had 16 hits, and Texas Tech only had 13. They just weren't able to convert those hits into runs, which generally means that going forward, Oregon's going to be probably understated by their their more recent performance. Generally, when you get more hits, you're going to get more runs as well. So Oregon needs to do a little bit better job of closing out. I also really like the depth at pitcher, as you guys were kind of alluding to. Lots of pitchers being rotated in. It's kind of early in the season. We're starting to figure out who is the best pitcher, who is what's the hierarchy or tiers of pitchers that we're going to use later in the season. So just pretty encouraging going forward. You would have liked to have beaten Texas Tech, but not the end of the world. I know the other two teams, not bad teams, but also unranked teams. So it's really important for Oregon in the non-conference here to start picking up wins against these ranked teams like Texas Tech. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we're not going to see too many matchups against ranked teams in non-conference. You know, I really think that this was the only weekend for the entire non-conference series where we're going to see those kinds of matchups. You know, Oregon, like we said before, they're starting to get recognized. They were invited to this tournament against these big top, uh, you know, known teams, and they definitely showed out. They proved that they are at that level, even though they lost a lot of guys last year. And I think, like you said, Griffin, which leads me to my next point, the pitching this weekend was just so good, especially out of the bullpen. I keep saying that Saturday, pitching-wise and offense, I thought that was their best game. The bullpen was really good. Kevin Sider, he got to start five, four innings, five hits, three earned runs. Other than that, though, the bullpen just shut Baylor down. No runs allowed the rest of the game. It was a combination of Mullen, Jordan, and Mercado, who really, for me, I didn't see Mercado coming out of the bullpen. Like, yeah, I was, I, I was going to say, it's kind of a, it was sort of a weird strategy, in my opinion, to yeah. put one of your, a guy that got a lot of starts and a lot of high leverage starts last season in the mm-hmm. bullpen. But, I mean, you can't argue with the results. He was able to lock it down. It was a big part of the reason they won that game. You really can't. And I think this might be a better role for Mercado. Like, I definitely saw him in the starting role last year. Obviously, with no Isaac Aon, he was supposed to be playing next to Stoffel, who was the Friday guy. And now, no Aon this year as well. You wonder if Mercado was going to go back to the number two role. I thought RJ Gordon, too, put out a, a really good performance. Mark Wazikowski was talking about it, how he really didn't know what to expect out of Gordon on Friday because it was his first action since uh, two years ago. He was out all of last season with a, with a shoulder injury, so he hasn't seen the mound in ages. And he responded really, really well. But now the question going in, you know, to this weekend at least, was who was going to be the game two and three starter. And I really thought that Kevin Sider, even though he gave up three earned runs, he still pitched really good. And Mercado coming out of the bullpen looked just really, really strong. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if that's going to be his permanent position. I mean, I, I would like to see him as starter because I definitely think after seeing what he did last year in that Saturday role, I think he deserves to, to get at least one start. Um, but – at this point, I'm really not mad with his performance out of the bullpen. I think he did really good to just shut the door uh, out on the Bears on Saturday. Yeah, I kind of want to echo what you said about R.J. Gordon. Coming off a kind of significant shoulder injury like that, getting the opening day nod, you know, as I said, it's in an MLB park against a team that had a lot of hype entering the year. That was a pretty gutsy performance, and it wasn't perfect. He didn't go super deep into the game. They still put runs on the board against him, but obviously he did enough to help Oregon win that game and handed the ball off to, you know, some of these other pitchers like Grinsell that have history, have – you know, started in the past, but were used out of the bullpen in this series, and it worked out twice. They were able to, you know, kind of use a starter in more of an extended opening role, someone that they didn't have as much confidence in as they might have with Mercado or a guy like Grinzel. And, you know, those guys kind of really it was like a by-committee second start in the game taking over, and they did a great job closing things out. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's probably just going to 
work like this until we see a lot more innings from some of these guys. There's younger guys. There's guys that missed last season and returning from injury. So once we get some more innings, we'll probably have a good idea of what the staff will look like. Yeah. I noticed that there was a stronger rotation of pitchers in the Texas Tech game. I'm not sure if that's because Oregon was trailing and they needed to find a spark or something, but it's going to be interesting going forward to see if if the results on the field have an impact on how many pitchers end up seeing the field. Yeah, I mean, really Texas Tech was going to be the toughest game, obviously, because it's a Sunday game and they didn't know who the starter was going to be. Turner Spoljeric ended up getting the start, and he had a pretty shaky start. I, You know, it's kind of a trend that we've been seeing since last season where – he's gotten a lot of opportunities and he shows moments of, you know, promise that he can really be that guy, the Sunday closer to either, you know, sweep the series or, or get the series win. But yesterday was just not that showing. He definitely looked like he struggled a lot. Uh, you know, he gave up two walks, had one strikeout, five earned runs, four hits only. So, you know, it's not a terrible outing, especially against Texas Tech. Like It was a lot to ask out of him especially because he's, he's only a sophomore he doesn't have a lot of experience against this type of competition so overall I thought he handled himself pretty well but at the same time with Oregon you know winning the first two games and trying to go for that tournament sweep it, it was it the best decision not really but at this point it's going to be you know a live and learn for Mark Wasikowski with everyone he has Toby Twist though really came in and did wonders and it you know he earned his way in the starting rotation this weekend. He's going to start Saturday's doubleheader game, which I'm really excited about. I was talking about it with Austin earlier. He's really excited about him. Like, we are going to see so many young guys come out of this bullpen after this weekend, which is, like, going to be really exciting for the fans to see all these new young arms uh, compete this weekend. Yeah, each of these last two seasons, it kind of feels like there's been a real youth movement in Oregon baseball, and I'm all here for it. You know, last year we've, we've talked about it a lot, but they were the – it was pretty much an entire freshman starting staff. This year those guys have one more year of experience under their belt, of course, but – there's still a lot of arms and just a lot of depth, which I think you can't have too many, can't have too much pitching in college baseball, especially in the Pac-12, where offensive numbers are just always so high. So I think it's great to see, you know, so many pitchers, both young and old, coming back from injury or more experienced. They're getting reps in different roles, whether it's the bullpen or in starts, like you said. I think that's just a really good sign of things to come for the Ducks because they'll just have that many more options once maybe injuries start to become a factor. Maybe some guys start getting figured out by the field. So we're gonna have to travel much farther than everyone else in this classic. I think overall they played you, – you can really be happy with how they played. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it, you know, 2-1, and one, you look at that loss against this Texas Tech, and you're like, well, okay, Oregon's not there yet. More base runners than outs, actually. Exactly, game, and, like, you wild. have to really look at the way they played and the scorebook overall. Like, like Griffin said, they had more hits than Texas Tech, which is huge. Like, Texas Tech has some really good pitching. The fact they were able to get that many hits off them is so, so big. And for them being one of the first games that they played this season, like – you know, this is pretty much a brand new roster. There's very, very few guys from last year's team that are on this year's team. You know, it was kind of made the heart of the order. Walsh, Smith, uh, Thompson, and Betcher, those are kind of the, the main guys. But then you look at the rest of the lineup, guys like Jeffrey Hurd and, you know, Ryan Cooney and Jack Brooks, guys who really just haven't seen the field too much or, or are new to this team, and yet they just answered the call. They did really, really well this season. Uh, I, I'm excited for this team. I mm -hmm. think this team – like, this team – is going to be a lot better than people expected it to, especially after this weekend. I think the expectations going into the season were a little bit lower than they were last year simply because of all the guys that end up leaving for the draft. But after seeing this weekend in Texas, I'm really, really excited to see how this team progresses towards conference play because conference, for, you know, we know that you know softball, it takes a while, but for baseball, conference play is not too far away. Yeah, I, I think there was a lot of uncertainty maybe entering the year. They had so much... You know, overturning in, in the roster, playing against some teams that 
you know, were so much more competitive than they were maybe in some people's eyes in this this past weekend. They really came to play, like I said, and I think that's definitely going to be encouraging going into a stretch where the schedule gets a little bit easier. You know, there's a lot of talent on this team, as we found out, and a lot of guys who, you know, maybe even though they might not be as experienced as some other people in their same op- getting the same opportunities as them, they definitely seem hungry. They definitely seem aggressive. And like you said, it's going to be an exciting season. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is going to be a really exciting season. And now, you know, the Ducks, they return to P.K. Park, and it'll be the first time they play at P.K. since they lost in the Super Regional. So, obviously, not very good memories um, for Oregon fans the last time Oregon played at P.K. Park. But, hey. It was know, a pretty wild series. It was a pretty wild series. You know, I, I like I I was there all three days, and obviously, you know, as an Oregon fan, I was upset because I really felt that game two, they controlled most of it. Uh, like pretty much every Oregon fan thought after game one coming back down from eight, nothing that, mm-hmm. okay, they're going to win this thing. Like right. they have what it takes. They have the momentum on their side. And then obviously we knew in game two kind of lost in the end or Roberts was the home team. Game three was going to be a stretch. We knew that if Oregon needed to win, they couldn't make it to game three because of the limited rotation. Stoffel win game one, Mercado win game two. Like it, they just didn't have the arms like they do this year where they were able to play a three-game series pretty consistently. So everyone knew that if they didn't win it in two games, game three was going to be a stretch. Yeah, I mean, Oral Roberts had won, I think, 20 straight games entering that, that Super Regional. Yeah. Oregon had that now, in my opinion, iconic comeback in that first game. It was probably one of my favorite sporting events I've attended since coming to the U of O. You know, it was electric at PK. And then, like you said, the second game didn't go as well as they had hoped, getting that, you know, it was tied 1-1 heading into game three. And I think that kind of, Reality started to set in a little bit once Game Three started going. That Oregon might not just might just not be as deep as Oral Roberts. Yeah. Still, overall though, that series, you know, great experience, and I think a good sign for the program that they were able to hang with a team that had a really excellent 2023. They were able to get that big win in Game One. So, yeah, some some sad memories with how it ended, but I think it's you know with how the teams look so far. Yeah. Definitely some reason to be I mean, excited. Yeah. Coach Mark Walkowski said that the bar has definitely been raised now for Oregon baseball. Like it, especially a few years ago when you know the program was coming back after taking a few years off. Like now it's in a point where it's it's trying to become an elite team. They they already made it to the super regional and now, you know the next goal is going to be the college world series. They're going to try to make it to Omaha. He literally said it in his post game press conference after the loss to the super regional. He's like, he promised Pat Kilkenny he make it to the college world series or he die trying. And you know he stands by it. He yeah. is dedicated to this team, uh, and that's one of the things I love about him too is that he is just so dedicated to trying to win. And it shows right now in the first three games of the year and the first three games of the season. But now we're looking ahead to this weekend, Oregon taking on Lafayette. It's going to be a four-game series to play Friday for a doubleheader on Saturday starting at 12 and then 12 o'clock on Sunday as well. Wozikowski said earlier this week, he already named his rotation. He said that R.J. Gordon's going to get the Friday start like he did last week. Grayson Grinsell, who had an amazing outing as well on Friday, uh, came in after Gordon was taken out. He'll get the first game on Saturday. Toby Twist will do the second game. And then Cider, who started Saturday's game this past weekend, will be the Sunday starter. You know, Lafayette, not really the best team Oregon's going to face this year. I mean, they started out 0-3 uh, against East Tennessee State, and they lost all those games by more than 10 runs. Yeah, their smallest it, margin of defeat, like the smallest, is 10 runs. So yeah. it's definitely a good chance for the Oregon offense. So, yeah, so I I could definitely see the, the Oregon, you know, I can definitely see the Ducks doing very good this weekend. I think they're going to go four and zero. But just kind of the preview. What What are you guys thinking about this weekend? As far as like, what do you want to see out of these guys, the the pitchers and the offense? Yeah, I mean, pretty simply, Oregon played on the road in a ballpark that was bigger than they're used to playing in against some really tough competition, and they came away with more wins than losses. Now they're going to be playing at home, 
against a team from the Patriot League, still looking for their first win of the season. That kind of tells you all you need to know. I think, you know, it's a good opportunity to see more innings from some of the lesser-known guys, more at-bats from maybe the bottom of the order, which will be good to get us a picture of how things are going to look going forward. But like you said, you know, 4-0 is definitely the expectation for a series like that. I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be able to accomplish it. Yeah, this should be a pretty easy sweep, but I am going to look for the endurance day-to-day, especially at the end of the series. I know that it's a lot of games within a short period of time. Generally, when that happens, there's more parity, more chances for upsets, so don't be surprised if Lafayette does get one. They are looking for their first win of the season, as you guys said. So, I am very, very optimistic for Oregon in this series, but just be wary and really pay attention to that stat sheet on those later games to see if the endurance could potentially be a problem going forward. I know when we enter conference play, Oregon's going to have to, they're going to have to recover day after day or find some way with their rotation to avoid endurance problems going forward. Yeah, it's a good point saying that obviously these four-game series are are really tough. I don't think Oregon had a lot of four-game series last year, at least in conference play. I know in non-conference they did have a few where the bullpens definitely were stretched. And I think compared to this past weekend, they definitely have to get their guys, especially their starters, to go a few more innings. I definitely think that they can handle that, though. R.J. Gordon can go more than five innings. Grinsell can easily go more than five innings. I think with the way that Sider and Twist pitched, they can easily go over five innings. So I think as far as the pitching goes, you know, I'm pretty confident going into this this weekend. I will say that the offense, I think this is a good opportunity to get the bats going and kind of get the confidence up. Uh, overall, the offense did very well this weekend, especially when they were down against Baylor and Texas Tech. They really kind of stormed back and, and had a lot of momentum on their side. But sometimes you just need a series like this where, you know, you know that you're probably going to win and you just got to go out there and have some fun. And I think that's what – uh, Mark Wazikowski's you know, squad is going to do this weekend. They're just going to go out there and, and have some fun in their in their ballpark. So yeah, we might see some garbage time in this game. You know, that's when offenses and when guys can you know string those at bats together and try and get a hot streak going. The first game of the series down in Texas was kind of strange. I think three of the runs scored on wild or two on wild pitches and one on a bases loaded double play. So wasn't the hottest offensive start. But then in those last two games, we really saw the bats come around. I don't see any reason why that shouldn't continue here. Yeah, no, I definitely think that this is going to be. Another very good weekend for Oregon, and I'm excited for this team. Uh, Ryan Milano, going to be on the call, former KW sports director and now broadcaster over at the OSN Network. He'll be on the call this weekend for the entire series. We're going to step aside for a break. When we come back, though, we're going to talk about some Oregon softball. They just finished up their second week of the season. Keep it right here on 88.1. KWVA. Would your business survive a disaster? Nearly two-thirds of businesses aren't prepared for an emergency, and 40% of businesses that experience a disaster never recover. Make an emergency plan now before it's too late. For a free online tool that helps you develop an emergency plan to keep your business up and running should disaster strike, visit ready.gov forward slash business. Brought to you by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, the American Red Cross, and the Ad Council. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. Ugh, what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. What are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. It's been a long time since we've had an adventure in the forest. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. You're right. I should get out. Yeah, the forest is not that far away. Hey, Mom, come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Students, when I call the reason for your absences throughout the years, please exit the auditorium without your high school diploma. Too tired? Family trip? Sick day? 
Starting the holidays early. Starting in the sixth grade, students who miss 18 days or more of school in a year for any reason will fall behind and risk not graduating high school. How many days of school has your child missed this year? Absences add up. Keep track at boostattendance.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ed Council. Are you driving home from work, sitting in traffic? Yeah, that sucks. Good news for you. Quack Smack is back right here on KWVA Eugene, 88.1 FM. Bring it back here on Quacksmack on 88.1 FM. So we'll go on alongside Charlie Martindale and Griffin Bowes. We just talked about Oregon baseball and their opening weekend down in Texas. Now we're going to break down some Oregon softball because they just got back from San Diego, the Campbell Cartier Classic. And overall, it was a – I don't know how to describe this weekend. It was it was kind of iffy. I, I, I said solid for baseball. I think maybe it could be more said for softball, but – a little bit on the less solid side. I don't know what do you what do you guys think a good word to flat, say? flat, quiet. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's really a good way to to sum up this weekend. I I think that the way the softball team responded after a tough first weekend was not exactly what people were expecting. Uh, they went against Texas A and M twice. They lost both of those games. Loyola Marymount they won one game and they run ruled them eight nothing. And then they also beat San Diego State in their home state, too, which I thought was their best game of the year. Um, but the offense struggled the whole weekend. Like, they did not – obviously, they scored eight runs against Loyola Marymount. But in their other games, they got shut out in two games. Or actually, no, they got shut out in – yeah, in two games. And then they were only put together three runs in their other two games. So, it, the offense is nowhere to be found. The pitching, I thought, was really good, similar to last weekend, where they didn't give up more than four runs, and that was against Texas A&M and Loyola Marymount. But otherwise, they – you know – and then their second game against Loyola Marymount, San Diego State, they shut them out. And Texas A&M, they only give up two runs. So pitching overall was really good, but the offense was really just nowhere to be found. Uh, and I think, like like you said, Charlie, it was kind of flat, I think. It, there was some positives to take away from the pitching-wise, but overall it was just kind of like an underwhelming weekend um, for this Oregon softball team. Yeah, sort of a weird contrast between both Oregon Diamond sports teams. On the baseball side, the lineup you know, doesn't have as much experience, not as many veterans. On the softball side, they returned pretty much their entire starting nine from last year, except for a few key transfers. Really, I don't think this was a result anyone expected with them only scoring one run in the entire first day of, of the, was it Campbell-Cartier Classic? Cartier. Cartier. I, like I, I always get a tongue twister. Yeah. It's like the Campbell and Cartier, but uh, yeah. Regardless, just one run on that first day. They run ruled. They did run rule LMU, like you said. The 8-0 win is big, but you can never expect to run rule someone. That's still a game. You kind of think the Ducks would win, which they did. Mm-hmm. Still, though, losing to LMU once is not what you like to see. I think, yeah, like I said, flat overall, especially from the bottom of the order, which really didn't pull their weight on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, I really thought that San Diego State game was not going to be a win simply because they were in San Diego and, you know, San Diego State's one of the top-ranked teams. We, we kind of predicted that Texas A&M was not going to go their way, at least for one of those games. We knew that they were going to lose the first game or the second game. We didn't expect them to lose both those games. Um, and then that first game against LMU, they lost 0-4. to four. So, uh, you know, like I said, it's nothing to panic yet because obviously this team is just in its first stages. But this weekend obviously wasn't adding anything special to the resume. I mean, they were able to take down a top-ranked team in, in San Diego State and, you know, held their own against Texas A&M, which is another pretty highly ranked team. But uh, it didn't really do anything to help them out. Oregon dropped to number 25 in the rankings 
uh, in the top 25. They started out the season at 14. They dropped a few spots after last weekend in the M- NFCA leadoff classic, which obviously we knew because they didn't come out. They're undefeated and they lost to Clemson. But after this weekend, they drop all the way down to number 25. Do you guys think that that's a fair ranking at this point? Like, do you think that's where Oregon deserves to be? I mean, they have the most losses in the top 25. Still, like you said, it's kind of a weird spot in the year where records are a little in flux. They've only played 11 games, so we don't know a ton about them. I think it's pretty valid. You know, As long as they're still ranked, you can still feel pretty positive about the team. They definitely, in my opinion, deserve a spot somewhere towards the bottom of the tw- top 25. But really, in these last few games this past weekend, I just think there was they didn't seem to be as put together as we might have expected they would be, especially with how last season ended and with you know, all the hype entering this year. The first Texas A&M game, there was a lot of unearned runs. The defense wasn't as strong as it usually is. And then, like we keep saying, and I'm sure people have been saying on here all week, the offense just wasn't there for long stretches, pretty much the entire classic. You know, I think they still are a good enough team. There's still enough talent on the roster to be in the top 25. But when you play, you know, so poorly and you don't score as much, or you don't score very much, it's going to be hard to, to argue for a spot higher. Griffith? I am going to defend the ranking. The new RPI actually isn't out yet, so the RPI we have is from last year. Oregon finished at number 17. I think at this point in the season, with the strength of schedules being so different and all these different variables that go into non-conference games, it's a the sport is just a lot more chaotic than it is during conference play. I think you have to mainly look at preseason expectations. And you also have to look at the fact that Oregon hung around with Clemson and almost won that game. Mm-hmm. Clemson, number number five, I think, in the rankings, number 14 in last year's RPI when they when they finished the season. So I don't know if they're still number five in the rankings, but they yeah. were they yeah. were when Oregon played them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you just kind of kind of look at those bright spots. Not the best weekend for Oregon. Texas A&M was rated to end the year at number 26, so not a team you want to go 0-2 against. You definitely wanted to get one of those wins, and really the first day just looked, the first game against them just looked, it just looked really sad from an Oregon perspective. It really did, and I think that out of those games that they played this past weekend, and also in the NFCA leadoff classic, they won all the games that I think they were expected to win. Like a lot of, even though we kind of expected them to win one of those games against Texas A&M, a lot of other people didn't because they know how good um, Texas A&M has been, the the what the progression that they've been. LMU, a little bit of a different story. I'm sure that everyone thought Oregon was going to take one of those. Same thing with San Diego State, too. A lot of people didn't think San Diego State was, you know, going to lose to Oregon, especially in their home state, but Oregon ended up pulling off the, the upset. So I think the ranking right now is fair. I don't think that Oregon deserves to fall out of that. So, you know, 25, you're like, you're right there on the line, but you're still in the top 25 and, you know, a long way, you know, to go in the season. So I think that... It really, it's a good it's a good number to be at right now. Like personally, I think that this is where Oregon deserves to be. Um, after this weekend, the way that they've been able to hold their own with these top ranked teams, they're not really deserving of top ten status, obviously, because they haven't been winning these games. But we know that the Pac-12 this year is going to be really good, especially against Arizona, Washington, UCLA, and Stanford. They're all going to be really, really good teams. So I think it's a good spot to be in right now. And eventually, you know, the hope is that they were able to progress all the way up until conference starts to where they can be in a top 20 spot. And hopefully by the end of the year, they are in that top 15 spot where they are able to host a regional because we know hosting a regional can just do so much like Jane gets crazy. It is really just a spot where you want to have a really good tournament, but kind of moving on. I only got two more non-conference tournaments, the Mary Nutter Collegiate Classic this weekend. Now you're going to be there on the call for all of those games, catch right here on 88.1. And then next weekend, the Jane Sanders Classic, 
uh, big weekend here at 88.1. We'll have all those games. Uh, the non-Oregon games will be on stream too, but all the Oregon games will be right here uh, on 88.1 FM. But these next two weekends, I think, are going to be really big. Not so much the Mary Nutter, but I definitely think the Jane Sanders is going to be the biggest non-conference weekend that Oregon's played up to this point. They're going to be playing against Maryland and against Florida State, which we know Florida State is a top three team in the country. Right now, I think they're number three or two. I got three. Or three, yeah. Like, they have just been a force to reckon with these past few seasons. They are always a top spot. Really, that's going to be the game where Oregon, you may need to get a win out of that point, simply because they haven't won against Clemson. They didn't win against Texas A&M. Like, they haven't won against a ranked team yet. And I feel like a, a, a win against Florida State will do so much for them in the polls, in you know the way they're viewed by other teams, confidence. like the confidence too. Like I feel like that's going to be a big game for them. But that's a little too far ahead. Backing up a little bit to this week into the Mary Nutter Collegiate Classic, uh, taking on University of Central Florida, Baylor, Notre Dame, Long Beach State, and Nebraska. These are games that you know Oregon could definitely win. Like like it's overall. None of these teams really stand out as top-tier teams. None of them are ranked at this point, at least I'm not sure. I don't think so. Uh, Long Beach State, not, you know, too good. I think Baylor is actually ahead of Oregon. I think Baylor's 20, 22 maybe? Is Baylor ahead? So yeah, that matchup, that matchup means something. It means something. Not but as much as what we'll see a week after. Exactly. But there's no top-10 matchups that um, we're going to see this weekend. So, really, you guys are previewing this upcoming weekend. How do you think Oregon fares? Yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on this team to, to start performing. They'll have a whole week behind them, or, or in between this weekend and obviously the, the series they played in San Diego last weekend. So they'll be working on stuff all week long. I think the bottom of the order is really going to benefit from being back home, maybe playing against some teams that, even though they have better pitching, just being at home will give them a chance to, to get going. I'm still confident that there's enough talent in this team to, to advance through these rankings, and they might have a few chances to do it against Baylor, perhaps, but... Yeah, I think this is a weekend where they can grab some wins. Yeah, I definitely feel confident in this team this weekend. you got a lot of veterans on the team, a lot of people that can handle pressure, and you guys are right. There's definitely going to be a lot of pressure on this team after what has been so far a disappointing start to the season. If I had to predict this this weekend, I'd say probably 3-2. and two. I mm. think maybe 4-1, and one, maybe. I mean, that game against Baylor is basically a toss-up. The rest of these, Oregon will have probably somewhere around a 70-80% to 80% chance to win. I don't, I don't really think there's a gimme here, especially with how close the games are to each other. I know, like I said with baseball, when you push the games really close together, it becomes harder to win each and every game just because of endurance and rest and all those other factors. I, I'm just looking to see, is Oregon able to punch back and are they able to convert some of these hits into runs? That was an issue with both the softball team and the baseball team as of late. Yeah, I mean, I, I, to me, I think, yeah, 4-1 and one is going to be a reasonable asking that you know Oregon is going to be tested to do this weekend uh that matchup against Baylor yeah it definitely will be another one where could go either way not really sure at this point I mean uh, you know a lot of the experts have Baylor going just because they're higher ranked but because they're not too far down the list from Oregon I think that that's a a game that the Ducks can easily win but as far as the other ones though opponents that the Ducks shouldn't really have a problem with I don't you know see too many yeah I mean a week or even two weeks ago we were probably talking about when Oregon was higher 14th or 17th or wherever they were previously Definitely would have talked about these games as, as ones they could have won more easily. Mm-hmm. After how things have gone recently, there might be a little more doubt, but I still think, especially at home, that they yeah. can take three or if not four of these games. Yeah. Before we take aside for or before we step aside for another break, though, a little tongue twister there. Um, you know, looking ahead to the conference schedule and just knowing where Oregon's at right now, 
you know, what do you think it's going to take for from this team to be competitive in the Pac-12? It's the last year that the Ducks are going to be in the Pac-12 with the transfer to Big Ten. It's going to be a new conference next season. They're still going to see a lot of the same opponents in Washington, UCLA, and USC, but it's going to be a whole new year. You know, what does Oregon need to do in the final year of being in the Pac-12 to possibly be one of the top teams? Yeah, I think you can feel good about Oregon's pitching right now. Obviously, there's confidence in Scott and Hanson. We saw them a lot last year. We know what they bring to the table. Taylor Spencer looks really good, as you said. So I think there's plenty of confidence in, in the pitching side of the ball inside the circle. The offense at the top of the order, you know, they've been firing on all cylinders. The, the big names in this lineup have been doing well. Like I said earlier, though, I think it's just those bottom of the lineup bats, people who might be coming off the bench. They just have to find some way to, to get a little bit of production, whether it's just getting on base or stealing bases or maybe driving in some runs. So I think the bottom of the order is, is really what's going to make or break some of these games, especially the close ones against teams right up there with Oregon in the rankings that we might see in the Pac-12. This team's liability is definitely on the offensive side, and I think the same same could have been said about the team last year. The Pac-12, not super great in, in softball, so Oregon definitely has a chance, especially when these weekends become more manageable. You get three games a series instead of four or five games in one weekend, so it becomes more manageable, but it's also more manageable for both teams. So a little bit less chaos, as I was saying, in, in conference play. You'll be able to expect more. This is really the time of the season where Oregon should experiment. They should try different lineups, try different rosters, and really test the team and see what they can do because non-conference play is not super influential. I think, honestly, you want to get these high-quality wins, but what's more important is getting a lot of wins in conference for that conference tournament seeding, and then if you can do great in that conference tournament, it'll really help your ranking in the end of the day. So for Oregon right now, just have some fun with it, a little bit like the baseball team. I know there's a little bit of pressure right now because of the slower start, but I'm not really worried. I'm, I'm going to start worrying if you know they start throwing up 50-50 games in conference play. It's a good message to send the team for sure. Like Just have fun right now. Even though they're facing these top-ranked teams, there are a lot of expectations. I feel like a lot of times the, the teams that have so much weight on their shoulders don't really perform because there's so much pressure on them. But the teams that we see you know, have really successful runs, like we've seen this team in the past where – They've done really good against these top-ranked teams, and it's simply because they go out and they're able to perform and you know feel like they can just win every single game. So I feel like that's what Melissa Lombardi's team needs to do this weekend is they need to just have fun and just go out there and, and you know do their best to win these games because they are really important, but conference is really what's going to matter for this team in the end. Like It's going to be a long stretch to make it to the top 10, but uh, conference is really where it's going to be at. And to prove that they are going to be one of the elite teams, uh, now switching over to uh, Oregon basketball roundup, men's and women's season slowly coming to an end. Uh, the men's team coming off a victory this weekend. They beat Oregon State 60-58. to Unbelievable game. Dante, I, I heard this uh, little bit of a intro or tongue twister from uh, Joey Mack earlier this, this, uh, this week. He said, Dante dunked the Ducks to victory. And I was like, wow. It's pretty sums it up about right. Pretty sums it up pretty good. Uh, so they took down their in-state rivals, sixty to fifty-eight on Saturday, and then the women's team didn't really have that great of a weekend. They dropped two straight USC and UCLA. It was the eighth loss in a row um, after the UCLA loss. They lost uh, fifty-one to eighty-eight against USC. Juju Watkins just absolutely yeah. tore apart <laughs> Oregon's defense, and then UCLA fifty-five to seventy-four on Sunday. Me and Austin Oder were on the call and. Uh, We'll start off with women's basketball because they have just had a, a tough, tough stretch over these past few weeks. They've had they had eight straight games where they were going against ranked opponents, including this past weekend against USC and UCLA. But now this weekend they get 
no ranked opponents in Washington, Washington State. Uh, it's it's really been a struggle for this team, and I, I think a lot of people have seen that. You know, they're not calling out for Kelly's job. They're not really asking like, hey, what direction is this team heading? Like, they know that there's room for improvement, and they know that it's going to take some time. But also, the conference that they're playing in is just super, super tough, uh, and it's shown so far. And I think this weekend can be a weekend where if Oregon can manage to put together a few good games, doesn't even have to be wins, but if they can put together a few good games, the fans will really see that all along it has just been the, the tough schedule that they've had, to, that they've been playing. Yeah, a lot of women's basketball this season has run through the Pac-12. Like you said, the Pac-12 was just we'll filled with ranked segment. teams this year. They've had so much talent on the opposite side of Oregon, and you know it has to come at somebody's expense. A lot of these wins for these other teams that are ranked in the top 20 or even top 5 if it's Stanford came against Oregon. They were just kind of the punching bag of the Pac-12 this year. You know, I think ranked or not, they're in last place. They just need to get a win one way or another. I think the losing streak is at eight or nine games. Like it's last, at eight, yeah. yeah. Last time I was on Quacksmack, we talked about this stretch of, of all the ranked opponents. They haven't won a game since then, to be honest. So mm-hmm. it's really just about getting ahead one time, getting one win to end the streak, and then maybe talking about some, some positives heading into the offseason. Absolutely. Actually, in the press conference against UCLA, someone actually did question Kelly Graves' job. Not necessarily saying that they believe that he should be fired. I I might believe that he should be fired, depending on how the rest of these games go. I know everyone wants to blame the schedule and just say it's a really hard conference, but the reality is four years ago, the Pac-12 was just as good as it is now, and Oregon was beating those top five teams. Now, they're not beating those top five teams, and I don't really know what the issue is because they had the same issue last year. They play a ton of ranked teams. They lose like seven straight games in a row. Or something like that. And we just blame it on the schedule. We blame it on injuries or something like that. But the reality is this team has not been relevant since 2021. And even this weekend, I mean, you got two Washington schools. Not particularly great teams. Not not terrible teams either. It's the Pac-12. No one's terrible in women's basketball in the Pac-12. But would two wins here really do anything? I mean, the, the bulk of Oregon's schedule has already happened. Even if they are able to get some lucky win against Stanford, it, which at this point it would be luck. That'd be uh, wild. I mean, the, I don't know. Like, we could be seeing, unless they're able to, like, win the conference tournament and go which, on. Yeah, I mean, you're going to lead me into my next point, but I'll let you finish up. <laughs> yeah, unless they're able to win the, the conference tournament and go on some miracle run in March Madness, make the Final Four or something, I, I, I think it might be time for Kelly Graves to go. He's just not sustainable. Like, he was – he w- even in the late 2010s, he had a couple great years and he had a couple mediocre years. Like, and I'm of the belief that March Madness success isn't necessarily an indictment on the team. It's more of just like the way the cards fall. So at this point, the damage has really been done. There's really just not, there's not a lot to look forward to if you're an Oregon women's basketball fan because a lot of these teams, they're going to be in the Big Ten next year uh, alongside some other good Big Ten teams. Like, it's not going to get any easier. You're going to have to start beating ranked teams. There's going to be some turnover in roster, too. So it's definitely uh, – there's a lot of transition for Oregon women's basketball. It's probably the nicest way to put it. Yeah, I I, I don't think that Kelly Graves deserves to be gone yet. I, I think that he – you know, this year was bound to happen, especially after, like you said, the 2021 year where, you know, they had the big three in Sabrina and, and – and, uh, Hebert. And Hebert um, and Southwood. Like, like, they had a really good squad. There's always kind of this down year for these teams, especially in the Pac-12, where, like, we're seeing it this year with with Washington and Washington State. Um, you know, teams that were good a few years ago, maybe, but I like, I feel like this is kind of the the stretch too of like 
every team kind of experiences this little bit of time where they're not really going to do that good. Recruiting is not going to be as good. Um, but Oregon has made it work. And I, I know it doesn't look like it right now with the 2-12 and 12 conference play, but you got to look at the schedule. you got to look at everything that's really gone into the season. The injuries, too. Let's not forget that, you know, Peyton Scott, she was supposed to be the heart and soul of this team. She was supposed to lead this team. Chance Gray was going to move over to shooting guard, but the whole dynamic kind of got messed up when she got hurt. Like five minutes into the season. Too. Exactly. Like, that's that was kind of the, uh, you know, if there was like a replay video of, of the team season up to this point, like, that it shows you a lot of what the season was going to be like. Like, that's kind of how the, the luck it's been for this year. But I, I would disagree that, the two losses won't mean or the two wins this weekend if they were able to win would not mean anything because if you look at it right now and, and Austin uh, put me on to this that if Oregon is somehow able to win these next three games because they're not only just taking on Washington Washington State but they are going to take on Cal uh, before they take on Stanford in the season finale if they are able to win those three games they will probably make the the tenth or eleventh seed in the Pac-12 tournament which right now if they make it. They would have to take on UCLA, which is not ideal at all, because yeah. especially after what happened these, this past weekend. But if they are able to make it to around 9th, 10th, or 11, they would either play Utah, Arizona, or Washington State, which Oregon can have more success against and possibly make it to the second round. The second round would be different. They would take on a top-four team in Stanford, Oregon State, USC, or Colorado. That's a different story. But let's not remember – or let's not forget what happened last year, number 7th, seed Washington State end up winning the whole thing in one of the craziest tournaments that I've ever seen in person like it was a, just an absolute you know lights up like Washington State went in they took down UCLA they took down Stanford they took down all these teams that just everyone thought was going to win and then it ended up taking the whole thing so I even though Oregon is bottom of the pack right now I still think they have a good chance of, of you know making some sort of run uh, even though if it's not going to be in the NCAA tournament, I think the Pac-12 tournament could be a place where they can come alive. Yeah, we've kind of been waiting all year for Oregon to put up or shut up, sort of have that run that some people might have expected they would at some point this season. There's only four games you have to, left in the year, so if it's going to happen, it's going to have to happen now. You know, They're hitting a part of the schedule where it's just finally, mercifully not one of these powerhouse teams. Even though they are last in the Pac-12, you know, they're looking up at everyone, so it's not like Washington or Washington State or even Cal is somebody that they're expecting to beat but I think they'll feel the the sort of change in competition and I mean it's no secret they don't they, they know about how the season's gone they know what the losing streak looks like right now they've got a lot more to play for than some of these other teams might and you know seeding in the Pac-12 tournament's always going to be important so it'll be an interesting set of games yeah I do think seeding is important but even if they are they are able to get a favorable first round matchup and win eventually you're going to have to beat a team like a Stanford or Oregon State or UCLA you can't get lucky forever unless all those teams just happen to go down. So really we're talking basically like 2.5% versus 5%. Like Oregon's odds right now are not looking good. And I don't think we should really, at least from my perspective, just spend time analyzing seeding when it's not like they're a contender to win. It's not like yeah, you even a long shot bet. I wouldn't make, I, I wouldn't bet Oregon a plus 5,000 to win this tournament. It's a good point to make. Like I think what right now the odds are not in their favor, but Hey, it's March, and you know what they say, what happens in March? Madness. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see how, you know, what happens in the next few weeks for the uh, women's basketball team. But now moving over to the men's side, talked about they're coming off a win against Oregon State, and now they're going to be taking on uh, the California school, Stanford, and Cal this weekend. Uh, not 
too many games left in the season overall for this men's basketball team. Um, you know, it's kind of been the same story where it's been not a dominant past few games, but it hasn't been, you know, not not good. Um, right. It's like a double negative. I, mm-hmm. I don't know how to say that there. Uh, they lost to Washington State, but then they beat Washington, lost to UCLA, but they beat USC. Like, it just feels like every time they have these two-game series, they drop one, more or less the ser- you know, the game that they probably should have won, but didn't end up coming out. But now this weekend against Stanford and Cal, I think that these are two must-win games, especially with the end of the season coming down. Yeah, I mean, we've kind of always been looking ahead to that last matchup against Arizona, one of the or the second-to-last game of the year. You don't want to look past these two games. It's been a step forward for Oregon this season compared to last season or maybe the last few years, but you know, still a lot of ups and downs. The Oregon State game, even though they came away with the win, even though they were leading for most of the game, it was just sort of a strange matchup. It kind of felt like they more held off the Beavers instead of beating them. Obviously, you don't want to come down to a buzzer beater against Oregon State, but you know, even though Cal has one of my former Little League teammates, I still think Oregon's going to win that game. Who is that? Uh, he doesn't play at all. Okay, but I was like, wait, <laughs> unfortunately, <hold on. laughs> unfortunately, maybe this week we'll see him. But uh, I still think they can come away with that game. They know how much they have to play for, so uh, it'll be an interesting few matchups. I was at that game up in Corvallis. I know you were. Great coverage, by the way. I will so say that. You, thank yeah. you. Yeah, it, it was it was a phenomenal experience, and I, I got back in the studio at like around midnight. Austin made me like edit something with the the softball recording or something like that so i was in here until about 1 20 a.m so hey was grind. very wild night for me but anyway back to the team this is a this is definitely a bubble team for oregon right now they're not projected in really any bracket they are definitely on the outside looking in i don't even think they're one of the first four out so they need to start going on a win streak and they need to do it now if they lose one more game in the regular season then they probably need to win the pac-12 tournament Maybe they could lose in the Pac-12 final. Uh, the way that they, the way that the committee looks at these conference tournament games, there's just any other game. So it's not like getting to the Pac-12 final. You know, those wins, are, those wins are weighted heavier than the regular season. That's not how it works. They're all seen as just games, basically. Unless you win the conference tournament, then you're, then you get an auto bid in the tournament. So I think Oregon definitely needs to win the rest of these regular season games. I know that game against Arizona is tough. Maybe if you lose to Arizona, but. You're able to go on a bit of a run in the Pac-12 tournament. Maybe then you can get a an at-large bid. But at this point, it's really just preparation, I think, for the Pac-12 tournament because the most likely path for Oregon is going to be getting that auto bid in the Pac-12, which should not be that hard. There's been questions about Arizona really all year. Right now, they're a projected one seed. I don't know how. The, Got the, blown the, out the, by Stanford. Yeah. The, the Pac-12 is just... The Pac-12 is not good in men's basketball right now, contrary to like what we've been saying about women's. I don't know how Arizona has a resume to be on the one line right now. And honestly, I think unless Tennessee just starts losing a bunch of games, they're going to overtake Arizona. That That's my take. Maybe, maybe Creighton can go on a run, yeah. but Arizona will not end up being a one seed, maybe not even a two as well. I, I think they're very beatable. I, I, don't, I think they're very good, but I think they're very beatable. And really, the, the Pac-12 is not super-duper strong in men's basketball, so... Oregon can definitely go on a run in that conference tournament. I feel a lot more optimistic about the men's team than the women's team, despite this season still being a disappointment. And they are still on the outside looking in. Don't get anything wrong about that. This is not a team. This is a team with more to gain than to lose, I would say, right now. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a bubble team right now. Right now, the experts have Washington State uh, inside. So if Oregon can somehow overtake them in the standings, you know, I'm not saying that's a guarantee, but... It'll definitely help them out. But either way, yeah, I definitely think that they would have to make a good run uh, in the Pac-12 tournament. I'm really excited. I still think that this team um, is very, very promising, and we're going to see 
how they do coming down the stretch here. But uh, we're going to step aside for another break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some Oregon Spring Sport shout-out, talking about the sports we don't usually talk about here on 88.1 FM. So stay tuned for that. KWVA. KWVA. The Skate Park Project. Formerly the Tony Hawk Foundation is a skateboarding organization that helps communities build public skate parks for youth in underserved communities. To date, nearly 600 recipients of the Skate Park Project grants have opened their skate parks. These parks receive more than 6 million annual visits by youth who benefit from the active lifestyle and camaraderie the facilities promote. Learn more about the Skate Park Project by visiting www.skatepark.org. UNICEF works across 190 countries and territories to reach the children and young people who are most at risk and most in need. As conflict escalates in Ukraine, UNICEF is on the ground providing safe water, emergency supplies, and social services to children and their families. Learn more at unicef.org forward slash Ukraine forward slash EN. For over 50 years, Help Heal Veterans has utilized recycled materials to create, manufacture, and distribute art therapy kits that help vets deal with pain management, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and many other challenges. Our kits help veterans find sustainable wellness in their lives. We are proud to help those who served our country. Our mission is to help our veterans. To learn more, go to HealVets.org. That's HealVets.org. Sponsored by Help Heal Veterans. This is former assistant sports director Adam Sussman. Let's get back to the best show in Eugene, Quacksmack. Such an upbeat welcome back. I like that, actually. I really do. That's probably one of my favorite uh, back musics, I think, that we have uh, on our PC over there in production. Good, good choice, Griffin, even though I picked that one. But I'm just going gonna, gonna to give you credit for it. Uh, now we're going to talk about um, or do a little spring sports shout out. So uh, for you guys, I'll let you guys know about this last night. But for the audience out there listening, um, I started doing this on my Wednesday show because there's so many sports right now for Oregon that are competing. Just you got a number including besides baseball and softball as well as basketball who are still competing. But you just have a number of individual sports. So I wanted to dedicate a 10 minute segment um, to kind of do a little shout out. And I asked you guys to pick one sport to kind of give a little riff on. So we'll start off with Charlie. What do you got for us, Charlie? So I decided to pick men's tennis, which, to be honest, before this year, didn't know a ton about. Uh, just to give people an idea of what Oregon men's tennis looks like, a friend of mine actually had a full conversation in French with an opposing coach a couple weeks ago. So they're right on the floor. And anyone that was in there you know, was treated to something pretty exciting. Last Saturday, Oregon played Nebraska, or had a match against Nebraska, future Big Ten rival, of course, next year. They were down three sets to none, and they were able to come back, win it 4-3. So... Great comeback. It was Vlad Brozu who won the final set for Oregon. It was a big performance from him. So overall did a really good job. It was a nice comeback. And I think that's uh, definitely an exciting performance. Griffin, what about you? And I'm going to go with women's tennis, actually. Oh, look yeah. at that. So you guys both yeah. picked tennis. Uh, yeah, I got to cover you, tennis. You know, you, it's probably like on the sports hierarchy in spring. I, I would probably go with, well, I know Oregon is a track and field school, but in terms of general excitement and like general public knowledge i think tennis is a bigger sport than track and field 
you can correct me if I'm wrong there. No, you are. I, I, I kind of agree with you there. I think that tennis is definitely becoming one of the sports where it, it's like an international sport, like with golf and, and F1 racing. I feel like it's one of those sports where a lot of people outside of, of America really know and, and are engaged with a lot. And I, I honestly find it interesting, too. Yeah, like it might I, be better live, too. No, yeah. Like, I, I think outside of Oregon, I've definitely started to watch tennis a little bit more, which I played it growing up, but I never was interested in watching it. But now watching it and watching these professionals um, – it's definitely become a lot more interesting, and you know, takes away with with Oregon women's tennis. Yeah, the team is six and three right now, four and one at home, two and two on the road. So, doing well in Eugene. N- notable games: a seven zero win to start the season against Portland State, a seven zero win also against Eastern Washington at home, five two win against St. Mary's, four three win against UC Santa Barbara, and then their most recent game was a five to two win in Boise against Minnesota. So, neutral site game there. And they also played North Carolina, number one ranked North Carolina earlier in the season, January 26th, and they lost 0-4. to So maybe not one of the top contenders in women's tennis, but Oregon definitely in the mix, definitely a decent team that could potentially make some noise later in the year and bring some excitement to the community, something we definitely can take advantage of. Yeah, you're right. And I think like what you guys were saying that, you know, tennis is one of those sports where they don't really get a lot of people, but it is a sport when you go watch it in person, like you're able to get up close and you're it's able exciting. to, it is exciting. I, I think that a lot of times we, you know, we shout out a lot of the bigger sports like football, basketball, and, and baseball and all these sports that we love watching. But you, you go to some of these, you know, sporting events that don't really get a lot of, of, of knowledge or acknowledgement or a lot of viewership, but you know, they're really starting to grow. And I think that's one of the beauties of, of Oregon is that they just give so much recognition to all these teams that, um, you know, don't get much coverage nationally. And it, the fan base is definitely growing for each and every sport. I think that's uh, that's something that, you know, I could say as an Oregon student and also, like, what I've seen out of, like, um, you know, out of just these Oregon teams supporting each other is that they definitely root for each other and try to get each other recognized, which is a very, very nice camaraderie between each sport. Uh, I'm going to pick acrobatics and tumbling for mine. Uh, I broadcasted the first meet, the home meet, against Hawaii Pacific a few weeks ago. And now Oregon, big test coming up this weekend over the Baylor Bears. Uh, do you guys know much about acrobatics and tumbling? Because I like, you know. Uh, what you've told me. What, what I told you. Griffin, do you I, know? I heard that Oregon is like one of the best teams in the country. And I think, that, didn't they play Baylor last year in a one versus two? Yeah. So to give you a little context, just because this is one of the bigger matchups this this, uh, this year. So I'll give you a little bit more information for it. Oregon is one of the top teams. Right now, they're number two in the rankings. Baylor is number one. Femi Mulkey, who used to be the coach of Oregon, basically started the sport here. Uh, she, Oregon won the first five, I think it was four or five national championships when Mulkey was here as head coach. And then she decided to go to Baylor because she wanted a new test to kind of grow the sport and be the head coach somewhere else. And then since she's been there, Baylor has won eight straight national champions for acrobatics and tumbling. So they are very good. And they also... They are the defending national champions from last year, which they beat Oregon. Oregon was the number two seed going in. They made it all the way to the championship, but Baylor is just so, so good. So you can see why it's a big matchup this weekend. They're going to be taking it down in Texas, and then they'll also play Oregon again at Matthew Knight in a few months in April, which is going to be another exciting matchup. I'm sure the fans are going to have fun with it. But this Oregon team, it's it's young but they're definitely talented. I, I think that's what I took away from the first match against Hawaii Pacific. They made a few mistakes, especially in the uh, pyramid, which, you know, for you guys who don't have much knowledge about acrobatics and tumbling, there's multiple um, events that go on. So there's the compulsory, there's the pyramid, tumbling, team, um, 
you know, there's just different events that it's all different scores. Um, so the Ducks definitely made a couple mistakes in the tumbling and pyramid events, but they came back in the team event, which, you know, from watching their first few practices that I went to, you know, the team event was kind of their shakiest one, but they went out there and absolutely dominated in that portion. And that's really what sealed it for them against Hawaii Pacific. And it's really what they're going to have to do this weekend. I, I think that this is a team that definitely can compete against Baylor. They have, uh, they have competed against Baylor, but they have also another piece of history is that Oregon has not won against Baylor since I believe 2021. So it's been quite some time. There's been seven matches between both these teams and Oregon has failed to win um, one of those matches between the last seven. So it's going to be a big stretch this weekend for Oregon, especially because it is only the Ducks second meet of the year. So still some things to work on, but I really like what I saw in the first matchup against Hawaii Pacific and, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how how the team responds and how they do against the number one team in the country. It, like Baylor is really good. Like I think I don't know how to explain it because obviously kind of interesting I, to see the uh, the Oregon Baylor rivalry forming. I guess it's when the sport sort of revolves around the two schools. In exactly. Sense, yeah. No. I mean, like these two schools have been the top, you know, of kind of this this acrobats and tumbling um, evolution to all these different schools. Quinnipiac, Gannon, Azusa Pacifica, you know, they're all really good schools. They're top, they're two through five right now in the rankings, but not really universities that you've heard too much of. Uh, Oregon and Baylor are definitely the top, the two big-name schools of this all, and right now they're top two. Just so much going on, though, on, you know, yeah, in Oregon two, athletics. Two undefeated tennis teams as well. It's, uh, undefeated tennis teams. you got golf to... as well. You know, shout-out Kiara Romero that uh, she won Pac-12 Player in the Week right. for the second week in a row. She's only a freshman, too. That's so crazy that she's only a freshman. Uh you also got to give it to men's golf, too. They just finished off playing a, a three-day tournament, the Prestige, which uh, shout-out to Joey Mack for doing a little spiel yesterday on Duck Insider. Would you guys agree with me that the Masters is the most iconic name for a sporting event? Like, you agree, Griffin? So, yeah, I, your head? I, I definitely agree. I, agree? I, can't, I cannot <laughs> think of a better name for like, a sporting it's event. Like, the Masters. Like, of course, people watch the Super Bowl, the World Series, but it's just like the Super Bowl isn't that creative. It's just like the Super Bowl, the like, Masters. But here, do you guys know what this past weekend's event was called for the the Ducks competed in? What was it called? Cheese It Open, the Prestige, the Prestige, the wow. Prestige. So I mean, like right behind the Masters, you just have the Prestige, which like it just rolls off the tongue so well. Like I, I really love that name. Um, they did. So they thank had, God, there's no like corporate sponsor ruining the name. You know, like imagine like the All-State Masters. That would suck, wouldn't it? No offense to All-State, the State Farm Masters, or like the Chick-fil-A Masters. Like no offense to those brands. It's just like that would that would suck. And like that, I I noticed that's happened to the college football bowl games. Everything's just been so corporatized. Like, can we just go back to the having the iconic names? Like golf is so good at doing. Yeah. Like, like I know, like we just had the waste management classic, like or whatever that event is called, like, waste management something. That was fun. Like that's <laughs> that's kind of an iconic name, you know. Waste management is a brand, a company, obviously, but that's kind of like an iconic brand. It's just if we can really focus the sport on keeping the keeping the brands and keeping the event names, yeah. you know, at the top. I think, I think it would do wonders for honestly bringing the public together. It really would. Also, shout out to to Oregon Lacrosse. They're two and zero to start the year. Just so much going on. In Oregon Athletics, it's, it's really a great time if you are a Duck fan. But that's going to do it for today's show. 
for my or for Charlie Martindale and Griffin Bowles, I'm so well gone. Thanks for tuning in for tonight's episode. Tune in tomorrow uh, for the director show. I believe Austin Oda will be on. I don't know. We'll see who's on tomorrow, but stay tuned. Thanks for joining us here on 88.1 FM. <laughs>